Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Right. So today, we've got a full house. Love it. Some new faces. All right. So anyone get a chance to read chapter two ahead of time? Halfway through right now. Dude, I love your honesty. Thank you for that. There ain't no shame in that. Doing the homework right before the test. It's good. Except there's no test here. So, so far, Acts chapter 2, huh? This is, uh, Acts is so full of really cool stories, man. I love it. Today we're going to focus on two different sections. We're going to talk a little bit about the first half of Peter's sermon. And then we're going to talk about what Peter said to everybody when they said, Oh no, what do we do? And Peter kind of responded to that question after his sermon. So I'm hoping that we have some really good conversations. Does, does anybody want to offer, before we actually get into reading this, does anyone want to offer any observations? Either from last week, when we went through chapter 1, we'd like to share, or from chapter 2, before we get into I think it's really interesting. I mean, we're not going to talk about this specifically today, but in the first part of chapter two, when they describe suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house as they were staying, and two tongues of fire came down. Like, if you just imagine and put yourself in that place, like, trippy. How about it? I mean, I, you know, we read these stories and we think, oh, that's, that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out of Pentecost. But, like, actually put yourself there. You see fire coming. Like, put yourself there. Like, uh, and the sound was so loud that people in the whole town was like, what the heck is going on? And you see what was going on. That's pretty profound, isn't it? What do you think you would do if you were in that situation? Probably not knowing at first what it was, even. Yeah. And then even if you saw it, two tongues of fire. That's you look up and here they come? Yeah. Can and who read? knows how big they were. Sorry. I'm curious why you say two. I know that there are so, so many different translations of scripture. This one just said tongues. It didn't True. say two tongues. Right. And it said it came to rest on each of them. So, like, how many were there up there? Yeah. So, tongues plural could have been four. Maybe it doesn't matter. How many people? Well, how, how many, many people? Uh, tongues is, it's is a, a separated measure when it comes to weight. So that's a lot of fire. Rested, yeah, separated and rested on each They floor. saw tongues like flames of fire that Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Cappadocias, Hoptas, Asia. More than two. Yeah. What could have? Yeah, it could have been two uh, that then separated, or it could have been. Yeah, know. sure. I'm wondering how many people there were in the room before they went out and started preaching. Right. Uh, That's a great. They had great just question. had an election, right? A little election to pick the missing right. apostle. Mm -hmm. So we know there were at least. He probably says that. it somewhere in chapter in one. Form? I just can't find it. <laughs> but it but also yeah. says light. So what right. they saw, they did, was not familiar to them. And the most right. familiar thing was 
right. A flame. That's right. Right. Great point, Lola. Great point. Enjoy that. All right, well, let's move down here. Let's start in chapter 2, verse 14, titled Peter's Sermon. It's found on page 8 of our, of our notebooks. <laughs> so we're going to read... Uh, <laughs> we're going to read 14 through 21. And let's break it up a little bit. Let's have uh, Joe. Would you mind reading verses 14 through 16? Uh, Peter's sermon. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what the spoke. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Morgan, 17 through 19. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Mm. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Mic drop. Wow. Awesome. Well, let's, let's flip a couple pages to page 12, and we'll read 37 to 41. And um, Lola, would you mind reading 37 through 39? Sure. Uh, call to repentance. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Share confession, please. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Let's start right at the top. Verse 14. Typically how we do is we'll just kind of go down through, you know, and we'll, we'll just go around and just share you know, what verses kind of stood out to you, and then kind of explain to the rest of the group why they stood out to you, and, you know, you don't feel pressured that you have to have an insight to share. What if you just have a big question and you're super confused about something? This is the best place to bring any of that kind of stuff up. This don't make no sense to me. What the heck does this mean? You know, that's, that really makes a really nice conversation. So, does anybody, does anybody highlight verse 14 through 15, 16, somewhere in there? Who'd like to go first? Kind of go around. Can I go back to the end of 13? Is that Absolutely. Cheating? Go for it. I think it's super interesting that this version says they're drunk on new wine. Isn't sure. new wine, doesn't that mean it's not fermented? Very interesting point. Well, what the heck? What does that mean? <laughs> How can you be drunk on grape juice? How much Maybe grape juice? Yeah. Why they're making fun of the SIBO. Like, somebody sneers like so new wine, they can't be drunk. Maybe. They're saying they're sneered, and they're just sneered when they said that. So they're kind of talking down and going, oh, these people are crazy. I'm just looking at you, know? 
I, I circled in 14 the very first three words. Peter stood up. And I, I thought back to, like, Peter, like, his betrayal with Jesus and, and, you know, his whole history of all that kind of stuff. I thought, it's, it's really interesting that even though Peter had such struggles, that he kind of was bold and stood up and said, I got a word for everybody. Not only that, but he was able to, like, quickly interpret what just happened. I mean, that's pretty insane. Yeah. You sort of buried the lead here by not reading the beginning of 2. Well, share some of your insights from the beginning. Chapter 2 is insane, dude. Where where it starts, all, like, visual, auditory signs that everybody's seeing and recognizing. And, I I mean, if that happened right here, if it got crazy windy and fire filled the room, you know, like you said earlier, it would be, what the heck is going on? But Peter's like, I know what this is, and he like he explained it all like right on the spot. So I I find it pretty interesting that he had that information, boom, right right there, ready to go. It's amazing. Either because of sudden insight from God, or or uh, like he had studied Joel pretty well, yeah. or, or both. Right. But don't you think that's interesting? Like he he had the answer. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. The the phrase they're drunk on new wine. I feel like it was almost like a, a slang, like a, it's not literal. It was more like, they're drunk on new wine. This is crazy. This is, you know what I mean? There's almost like they're saying. They're delusional. Yeah. What are they supposed to say? Yeah, they're delusional or what are oh, they right. on or, you know, yeah. I mean, that sort of thing or, you know. Isaac Kite or something. Yeah. I made note of that verse too, uh-huh. because look, look at the, I mean, here in verse nine, that there's like an extensive list of all the different people who heard the message translated for them, like by miraculous means into their own language. And so the people there that are skeptical, they're skeptical despite evidence, like they're, they're seeing what's going on and they're still like, ah, but like denying the actual experience as it's happening, which can still happen today. Like there's plenty of evidence that there's something miraculous going on. It's not just gibberish. Like the speaking in tongues that, that sometimes you see represented might, might be kind of gibberish and you know a little insane. But the way that this is described is like there's a group of people preaching and everybody's hearing it in their own language. Like it's not crazy and out of control. But some people are still like, ah, they're, they're nuts. That could be because their hearts are not in a place to see or hear it. Right, exactly. Good point. Sister Morgan, what do you guys think of that? Yes, I don't know. But you, Ruby, what do you think? It sounds pretty interesting, doesn't it? Yeah, but it yeah, it is great. <laughs> But, but I can't call you crazy. Why not? <laughs> I can't call him crazy. <laughs> so that wasn't okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're good, brother. Okay. Um, I highlighted verse 17, and some of the things that kind of stood out to me in this was, I thought, you know, when Peter is quoting the prophet Joel, is describing this like great movement in the last days, and and it it kind of comes right at the tail end of. You know, this great movement on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit coming down and they received the fire. And, and Peter's like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. 
And he goes in to describe this much more grand picture. And and I just thought, I, I underlined it in verse 17, and I will pour out my spirit on all people. And I thought, like, God is not choosing who and who not to pour his spirit out on. He is willing to pour his spirit out on all people, just like he pours his sunshine and rain on all people. But a person can choose if they, like, I don't know if Lou Lolo or Derek mentioned it, their hearts are receptive to recognizing it. But that's really interesting. Anybody else highlight some verses in there that stood out to you? You, Joe. I probably screwed up the assignment. Um, I was just, I was, I just wrote down that this, uh, this passage was very, you know, prophesying the, you know, the revelation. How that how they expect revelation at the end of the times before Jesus comes back. How things are going to be happening. So that's kind of a no-brainer. But that was my comment on this. Oh, no, that's good. So. Does anybody have a follow-up question to what Job's observation was? Is anybody thinking about something we just read? Um, there in verse 17, the, the very first five words, six words, and it will be in the last days. Yeah, I actually have that underlined, that in the last days, because it sounds like he's not only talking about the last days that are still coming, but he sounds like he's using that to explain what's happening that day. There you go. So it interested me, um, you know, I, I had put, you know, when is he talking about, and is it multiple references in time? Ah. Great, great observation. That's, that's where my mind was going with that too. What do you think would happen if Peter was stood up to, have to preach this sermon? And he's talking about the last days, and the, but don't worry about days aren't right now. Remember we talked about this last week? What happens if God gives an end date? What's everybody going to do? We become passive and lazy and, you know, mm-hmm. well, tomorrow. Well, can I throw a curveball into this? Yeah. Always. Yeah. This is sort of a, obviously I haven't read ahead of this, but was this sort of a version of the, the great disappointment? think they were waiting for something like this so when they were saying oh this this is happening because of when jesus mm-hmm. ascended and then this happened so then could this possibly be you know when 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 they brought up joel they brought up this this passage were they expecting something to happen then at the great ascension or did they know there's going to be jesus going to be coming back at this point what do you think I don't know. I'm not that schooled on the great disappointment, so. Anything more except? I don't know what the great disappointment is. So Jesus talked a lot about prophesying his second coming, and then he will return. Right? And so all through, as I understand it, Acts and the New Testament, 
you know, they were all waiting for Jesus to come back in their lifetime. And if you go back to the Genesis, when when Adam and Eve broke trust with God, and God promised a Savior, they expected Jesus to come in their lifetime. They were looking for the Messiah in their lifetime as well, right? So I think it's I think it's per- per- perfectly reasonable, Joe, to your point, to say that. But yeah, I mean, don't you look for Jesus to come in your lifetime? I know I do. And I know my grandpa, who's passed away now by like 10 years, he was looking for Jesus to come in his lifetime. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people do, and everybody does. So yeah. far, we've been honest. <laughs> but, 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 so, so but, in 1844, was that? And I don't, and, I, and maybe that's good for another conversation. Yeah. To talk about that. But go ahead, Lola. But it's interesting, though, that I have people that are not traditionally church or or interested in church coming out and saying, we're in the last days. Right. It's interesting to hear that, that even they're seeing it. You know, and it's... Yeah. I guess you also have to look at the concept of what is the last days because of you have to put everything in perspective, the time frame of history. Mm-hmm. You know, is a five-year period the last day? Is a ten-year period the last day? A hundred-year period the last days? Well, I, well, I mean, like what was said to me was, I believe we'll see Jesus. You know, like come, who's coming? So that's you know. That's cool. Can we decode that uh, for anybody that's listening, or for anybody that doesn't know the Great Disappointment? There was a time in history where people were studying scripture and trying to put a date on it when Jesus would come back. Yeah. And a, a group of people decided it was going to be 1844. Yeah, no, and so, like, they sold their properties and gave their money away to the poor and yeah. quit their jobs. And, like, they were, like, standing maybe to the point where they were standing out and looking up at the sky yeah. thinking, like, any well, second now. Day. Yeah, yeah, in 1844, yeah, they thought, like, it's all... It's all going to wrap up. And of course, spoiler alert, it didn't. So a lot of people were were like, oh, forget it then. And so that was a great disappointment. But some people said, well, we know we studied this out. Something must have happened here, but just not this. So that re-examining of that prophecy eventually led to the Seventh-day Adventist movement and our denomination getting started at that point. So, so like if you hang out in, around Adventist much, you know, eighteen forty four comes up quite a bit, and that's why. Can I can I add to that? Sure, yeah, and then we'll tie it back into. And then if you go back to what we studied last week in Acts, and you have um, you have the prophets or the disciples asking asking the Lord, "Are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time?" And He mm-hmm. said to them. It is not for you to know the time or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. So for us now, we know there's not a date, and we shouldn't be putting dates on stuff because we don't know. But we should always prepare. So there's also a place though in the New Testament. You uh-huh. all probably know where it is. That, yeah. um, but it says that it'll be in your generation that Jesus will come back, uh-huh. and then it's not. They're so all dead. But, so good things. What does that mean by generation? But you know, exactly. Because yeah. been something that was time, time is a, time was created for us, for humans. 
you know, God's time, you know, what we think of days, it's, you know, well, what he thinks of days, it's, infinite it's time years. For him. Or, you know what I mean? So what is a generation? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll still be back in 1944. I think it's really, it's really, <laughs> it's really fun to... And wrestle with and talk about some of these things and have these questions because it challenges us to think, right? Right. But I also think that we should be be careful because we all know people and conversations can get to that point as well where we get so focused on trying to answer these kind of details that we miss the forest right. tree. Right. It's true. Right. And and it's not about the date or the time or the event or eighteen forty four or anything like that. It's about the person that it's trying to communicate about. Mm-hmm. The person. Because it doesn't matter if you have a the right day or the right date. If you don't know the person, yep. And we're actually we'll actually tie that into um, our lesson today. Which let's look at verse twenty-one. So after Peter goes through and he preaches this sermon, part of the sermon, quoting Prophet Joel, he says in verse twenty-one that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I wrote down a couple questions to that, and I think you guys are going to know what I have to say. <laughs> the same thing I have under Which name? Which name? Right? Was it, uh, let's see, we use the name Jesus, but back in the New Testament time, Jesus is an American word, an English word. They called him Joshua. So is it the name Joshua? Or... If you look back in Hosea chapter 2, God himself says, don't call me Baal, call me Ishi. So is it Ishi? Is that, is that the name we should be using? Or what was the term? He should be named what, Emmanuel? Or is it Emmanuel? Maybe it's Emmanuel. You get the point I'm trying to draw out here. And there is also scripture that says that in the end, there will be people saying, you know, Lord, Lord, or Jesus, yes, Jesus. Yes. And he says... I never knew you. Get away from me, you workers of evil. I never knew you. So it's not just about the the moniker, as we say, the name, the right? the nombre. It's just it, it's got to be more than that. So Peter, in verse twenty-one, quoting Prophet Joel, is is referencing the great and glorious day of God, the second coming. If you go to Matthew chapter 7, you'll see Jesus himself describing that glorious day when he says exactly what Sherry just shared. But but people will come and say, Lord, we prophesied, we healed, we preached in your name. And he says, I never need to get away from you. But we use the name of Jesus. We use the name of Yahweh. We use the name of Emmanuel. We use the name whatever. We've been using it our whole lives. Our whole lives, perhaps. But then again, doesn't that go back to the heart? Yeah, because you can do an outward thing and not have the best intentions. And the intentions, I think, make the biggest difference. Right. Absolutely. So so let's dig a little bit deeper. I wrote some of my notes in here. In John 17, 3, Jesus himself talks about eternal life is that they may know you, the one true God. Right? So Peter here says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Jesus says anyone who knows you will have eternal life. And then Jesus also says in John 14, when he's responding to Philip, this is Joe, your favorite verse. 
where Philip says, Teacher, can you show us the Father? And Jesus' response to Philip was what? You see me, you've seen the Father. You see me, you've seen the Father. So connect all those pieces together, and what is Prophet Joel saying here? What is Peter quoting? What's he trying to say? Name in the Bible equals what? Character. Name equals character in the Bible. So if you know Jesus and you are being more, you know, becoming more like him, then you will be saved. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, there's places in the Bible where it talks about people that didn't even know about Jesus or God, really, but they did good. Yes. And they Romans twelve. And they will be saved. Yes. So it's mm-hmm. it's character then, yeah. I guess, and it's. Yep. It's actually quite beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. What what you're referencing is in Romans 12, where, where Paul talks about there'll be people who don't know the law, but by nature do the things contained in them. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Or along themselves. They, they agree with it. And so that's what I did. I kind of paraphrased verse 21 a little bit, and I said, you know, everyone who agrees and chooses to live with the character of Jesus will be saved. That's kind of how I in my own Say that again. Everyone who agrees and chooses live with the character of Jesus will be saved. Because Jesus' character equals the cure for the sin condition. That's what I believe. What do you guys think of that? I agree. Or insights or questions? What do you think, Morgan, about that? Anything stand out to all that? I don't have any specific thoughts. Just listening. What you, Seth? I know you got something. You're a deep thinker, man. No. No, I don't have anything. Sarah? back in Corinthians, you know, it specifically said that, you know, you know, women were not welcome, mm-hmm. right, to be speaking out in public, right, but two places in um, 17 and um, 18 both indicate mm-hmm. your sons and daughters, so right, good. so like, you know, like there will be, like that was part of just the most ridiculous thing that could potentially happen, right, right, <laughs> <laughs> Even the ladies will talk. That's so good. That's true. So, it's interesting. It was mentioned twice. They were publicly drunk, right? Like, and then women are talking. All just this really insane stuff. And, you know, like, and it makes you think, like, you know, in our culture, women are welcome to speak, but for the most part, it's like it. But, like, so how much more crazy, right? Like, that's what was happening in that time, right? Like, how much more crazy is it going to be when it happens when it comes back, right? Like, it's not odd that a woman would get up and speak. It's like, what is going to be 
so crazy about how he did in my small salon, basically. <laughs> but then, you know, and that brings up a good point, too, because it shows the difference between our human laws and God's, you know, because he's right, like... Clearly, he's saying, I don't care. He don't like, care. I mean, all, you, you know, know, both genders will be prophesied. Before we move on to the second part called repentance, does anyone have Ruby? Do you have any thoughts on that? Anything you like? Any sound? Yeah, I can't hear the Sounds interesting <laughs> to you. Okay, so let's switch over and take a few minutes here on called repentance uh, before we kind of close things out. But what stood out to anybody here? Let's go from Flora for someone to throw something. Yeah. Talking about anywhere? Anywhere, or specifically even in, under the the call to repentance section, but. Yeah, if you've got something in the whole chapter that kind of stood out to you, please share. Um, verse 17 stood out to me when he talks about visions and stuff. Yeah. I don't know why, I just did. Probably because you're a young man and yeah. it resonates with you. How about it? Absolutely. What about... Um, Verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What do you think about that? How about how about we ask an obvious question is what promise? Get started on that. What promise? Everlasting life. Good. Everlasting life. It says that you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And forgiveness. So is the promise the gift of the Holy Spirit? We think that. I can tell you're right there, man. Well, he's talking, keep referencing decay. So, essentially, everlasting life. So, what would be the opposite of decay? Regrowth. Restoration. Growth. Healing. Mortality. Lena's foot's decaying. What's the opposite of her foot? Regeneration, growth, and healing. How about it? So, for me, I wrote the promise, and I actually said that uh, verse 39. I want to read to that out of the remedy. Um, so I really like how that was worded. Two verse thirty-nine. This promise of healing and restoration is for you and your children, and for all of humanity, no matter how far off. For God invites everyone to be healed. So. So I, under, I underlined it, no matter how far off. What do you think that means? No matter how far off. Do we have any evidence of what, what, what Peter's describing there? Or what God's talking about? No matter how far off you can be healed. Is there any evidence given in Scripture? The prodigal son. Prodigal son? I didn't write that one down. That's a good one. Paul's actual conversion. Super good. 
I wrote thief on the cross in Luke 23. How far off was he? And how I, much? I, I'm sorry. I interpreted I interpreted it differently as almost like as he's talking to this group of people mm-hmm. and for you and your children and I in my head I thought it was other places, other countries, other Oh, I kind of took it as that way also. And for all who are far off but in Africa and Europe and Asia and South yeah. America. And but I see it your way, too. Yeah, you know, just, but that is the more literal. Mm-hmm. I think it's both, because I think they different places had their own gods, you know, yeah, back yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. oh, this is the god of so-and-so. You see this play out in Acts. Like, yes. the, the, the apostles travel to a place and do their preaching, and they're like, hey, he's trashing our god. That's right. Because they all had their own. That's right. <laughs> It's a great point. Yeah. The Young's literal translation says, and to all those afar off. That does sort of indicate a distance, I think. So to, so to, to expound on that part a little bit more, my mind goes to, because the Jews right then and there, they thought like, you know, there's this very elect. We are the elect. We are the remnant. And so Peter's making the point to saying, no, 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 it, it don't stop here. It goes way outside this. this Which is interesting, because later in this book, you know, Peter's going to have this vision with all the weird animals that he's right. supposed to eat, and you know, the lesson of that is explained too. It's not just about eating stuff, but it's about everybody from all different cultures being, you know, included by God. So he's saying these words, and he still has more lessons to learn about what that means in the future, which to me is really encouraging because like, you see people's growth process yes. play out, even in Scripture, which yes. means to me, like, I'm still going to learn and discover more stuff, and that that's okay. Like, that's all part of the process. Which is a great lesson for us right now today, isn't it? Because how many times do we think, Oh, I can't. I'm not ready yet. Or I can't. I'm not mature enough. Or I, I can't. I still have this thing I'm struggling with within myself that if other people knew, it would ruin my credibility or whatever it could be. All these excuses we pull down. But, Derek, to your point, that was great that you brought it up. The, the Bible is full of people being used by God in, in the most beginning stages, like David and Bathsheba. I mean, just think about King David I mean, or Solomon thousand wives and 700 concubines or something like that and then he lost it all because yeah and he was a bible writer you know so that's, you know i think in closing that's it's a great point for us all to kind of remember and think about where we're at right now and uh to say that you know look at peter's growth from being a, a compulsive, impulsive, brash, crass fisherman following Jesus who betrayed him, then who was restored, saw exactly what was taking place when the Holy Spirit was poured out, stood up and said, nobody panic, here's what's going on. And then said right here, and for all people who are outside our circle, and then later on, like Derek brought up, God educated him more by giving him this vision of the sheep, we'll get into that in future weeks, of that vision. 
should give us all hope. You should give us all hope. Because after all, who is it that promises to heal and restore you? Who gave you that promise? Who promised to heal and restore you? It's God. God. God promises to heal and restore you. Yeah. Let's close. God, we just thank you so much for this conversation and for the lessons that we get out. These talks that we learn about you that you will help us to just really internalize these truths that you're doing your healing work and that it's okay for us to not know all the answers it doesn't mean we're not living in harmony with you because truth is eternal we will eternally be growing and learning and understanding bless the rest of this day bless our food may your spirit pour out in these last days in the precious name we pray